Ruckus. This is Art of Gravity, a podcast on building new art worlds in the American South and Midwest, and how we might do that together. Hello again, L. Otto Nattinger here, and thanks again for joining us for what is episode four. To recap a little, this is an experimental pilot season of this show, which in summary, is asking how we might make art journalism better through audio. Not to replace writing altogether, but in addition to, at least. It's an ongoing learning experience, to be sure, both from the standpoint of the content itself and helping to slowly shape that into what it needs to be, and also in terms of the technical process of producing a podcast, from worrying about recording, to editing, to internet troubleshooting with guests and distribution, and trying to be hydrated when you record, it's a whole thing. I admire anyone out there who's doing this, especially as it relates to art. And in the spirit of that mutual appreciation, and in the spirit of taking any advice I can get at this point, I called a friend of mine who also publishes an art podcast, Joseph Hart. Joe, who uses he-him pronouns, is an artist and educator living in New York, and creates the podcast Deep Color, which Joe describes as an oral history project. In each episode of Deep Color, Joe has long-form, thoughtful conversations with artists, largely in the New York area, to talk about everything from studio work to background and influences, the logistics and financial aspects of making art, and much more. Several years and several dozen episodes into Deep Color, I think of Joe as someone who has been steadily improving an already terrific project, and if you aren't familiar, I encourage you to go check that out. I promise that starting next episode, we're going to return more concretely to the South and Midwest where Art of Gravity is hoping to settle down, so to speak. But while we are just starting out, I think that there's a lot to be gained from talking to people elsewhere to take notes about strategies and approaches that might work for us as is, and also to identify things that need to be tweaked or make it a better fit for our area. So for now, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joseph Hart. First off, thanks again, Joe. I really appreciate you taking the time. I was wondering if you could just describe for any of our listeners, especially back home, who might not be familiar with what Deep Color is and how that began for you. Sure. Uh, So Deep Color is what I have been defining as an oral history project and podcast series that I started back in 2016. Uh, and it's essentially me going t- on studio visits with other artists and talking to them about their ideas and process and their lives and some of their biography, and then producing and publishing something listenable that's shareable to uh, the public. And it's free. There's no like subscription or anything like that. And I've come to sort of define it as an extension of my studio practice. I'm a, I'm a painter. Uh, I'm also a teacher and a parent, but I look at it as kind of an educational wing of my studio practice, uh, making paintings, and also as a new media extension, which are which are things that are outside of you know how I how I describe my paintings. You know, I make kind of material based work. Um, I'm isolated and alone in the studio. I don't use assistants or anything like that. So. You know, having a project that got me out of the studio in the same way that teaching does and, and interact with other people and ask questions, this sort of answered that itch and, and sort of incubated more, more curiosity than I already had about what it means to be an artist and how artists work. 
And that's been going on for the past few years, I guess, what did I say, since 2016. Um, and that's what Deep Color is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you have recorded, I mean, upwards of 60, 65 plus episodes at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think in my, in my high point, I was doing about two per month. It slowed down in the, since the p- pandemic started just because of uh, time. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've sort of pivoted to more of a uh, stay-at-home parent and homeschool person through this pandemic. And, and just there's not enough time in the day for me to kind of answer all the other parts of who I am and what I do. Um, so I've had to kind of push the proverbial pause button on deep color and to tend to to my family. And also, to be honest, you know, I, I haven't had the emotional space to um, kind of get into get into producing and in and, and talking with artists. I have done a couple in the same way we're doing it over over the remote system. Um, but I've been really distracted, like a lot of us are, uh, and and spiritually kind of wandering and trying to reevaluate things. So um, I think the last last episode I produced was in May. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, thinking about the unique emotional labor of doing the podcast for you, I, I'm just kind of wondering how that feels for you or how you feel Deep Color would be fundamentally different as a project if it were transcriptions of conversations and not this more engaged, this more emotionally engaged thing, this oral history project. Yeah. You know, you know, I think traditionally an oral history, um, you know, it does, it does rely on recording spoken word to preserve a history or a story. But really I think I use the term oral history because I never liked the the term podcast. I don't like that word. I, you know, I, I sort of, my, my sort of interpretation of a podcast is something that is produced pretty quickly and weekly. Uh, you listen to it once you don't return to it. Uh, it's, it's advertisement driven. So there's someone selling you something through them. You know, it's, it's, it's media. And I, I, I've wanted to frame this project as something that's a resource, something that listeners want to return to not unlike the library you know like we we return to the library um it's a resource we we find information at the library um we 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 can like you know there's there's not really a transaction other than you showing up uh and that's something that i've i've tried to frame this project around and then in terms of transcription i think there's value in transcription there's there's actually that's on my horizon for for how to include transcripts for all my past episodes. It's it's actually quite expensive, um, so I'm trying to f- figure out how to pay for that. But I think it's nice nice to hear someone speaking and hear their voice and and identify with them in the in different ways. Um, and I also think it's nice to hear that artists aren't always the most well spoken people. You know, we, I think we have this. Um, kind of idea that, you know, artists are, are, are you know, full of magic and, uh, you know, insights just roll, roll right out. And that's not always, this, always the case. And I find comfort in that because I'm not, I'm not always the most well-spoken. Um, there's something very humanizing about hearing someone like search and wander and find the words for how to describe visual art. Because, um, you know, that's, at the end of the day, we're, 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 we're visual communicators. Um, so to, to try and find 
spoken language to describe something that we're more comfortable uh, using images or materials to communicate. I, I think there's that's a great exercise, and I think there's stuff to be gained from that. Yeah, I mean, in the very little time that I have spent thinking about how recording one's voice changes all of this, I've noticed so much about the way that I write that is different than the way that I would more naturally, quote unquote, you know, probe questions or ask questions, talk with people. I, I'm really in the process of drafting what kind of content goes into a show like what we're trying to do. One thing that we're probably going to try essentially performances of written reviews of shows or like things that like, I don't know, maybe people wouldn't be so keen to actually sit down and read. But if it was in a podcast, like maybe you'd listen to some jerk tell you what they thought of a show, you know? Yeah. Um, and just as an experiment, I started like reading out loud and recording a few things that I've written and published in the past. And it, and as writing, I feel like they operate well enough, but like if I'm trying to say them out loud, I sound like such a fucking asshole like it's you know and it's like so removed from the way that i would try and communicate something in my regular voice like there's so there was one i remember one of my favorite shows um that i've seen in the last few years was this archive of a one edition graphic novel it was called loose nuts um by this guy that you know lived in louisville in the first half of the 20th century bert hurley is his name and I was talking about how it was, you know, talking and communicating to this like cartoonish, like French illustrations in the wing right next to it in the museum. And I was like listing off all these French names of words. And I was like, I can't even fucking pronounce those things. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, well, how fucking dare I, you know, include yeah. that in the writing, to, yeah. you know, in a sense. But I don't know, like it, it, those are just all things that are coming to my mind. Like there is just something interesting about and, and important about injecting voice into this, like perhaps alongside of the writing. Yeah, absolutely. I think writing is quantifiably different than, than for like, like writing a review as you're describing is different than writing a script that one might read to be recorded. I think, I think how we, um, absorb that information is, is different. Uh, you know, writing something that's meant to be read is going to land differently when you read it out loud. And I think the process of editing comes into play here too. You can like stop and think and like craft that perfect sentence. And not that we can't do that while we're speaking. I mean, we're constantly kind of checking ourselves and editing, but I think there's, there's like a, a flow with speaking that is, is removed from the flow of writing. And, and maybe that's what we're talking about in a way. That sounds really akin to some of the ways that ruckus the art journal that, that this podcast is an outgrowth of has has been sort of like thinking about these problems for the last several years you know we are also you know generating content that we don't necessarily want to be a things to do list in the newspaper kind of thing we you know it, we want it to be some kind of archive and resource because these are things that are happening whether it's an event or a conversation like what we're doing right now, it it's a kind of ephemera, you know, like it's something that might not exist in the long run if if it weren't for some kind of proper documentation. But at the same time, we know that we have been kind of missing out on exactly the things that you're talking about, this, yeah, more humanizing aspect of it. The, you know, like when you read a review of a show, like that has a certain value, but it does uh, project this, 
sense of confidence uh or at least like it, it presents this like theater of confidence that is not at all a part of the experience of going to see a show you know you when you're trying to read work in a space it it is also this meandering experience you're reaching for words reaching for connections and i think that that is lost when you only have the writing and so yeah we're we're kind of like reaching across the aisle in the opposite direction and that yeah it's interesting to hear you say to say all that i'm kind of wondering if the i don't know if your relationship to talking with artists has changed over the course of your podcast or like the way that you're thinking through the I don't know what word I want to use, the issue, the problem, the task of talking to artists, if that's changed over time. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit. I, I, I maybe I've, I've, I've grown into it a bit more in the beginning. I, I wasn't preparing that much before I spoke to artists. I was, I was kind of free jazzing it and trusting my instincts for better or worse in, in, in that I could carry a conversation. Um, straight through and, and we could just riff and, and there, there would be enough substance in that conversation that would, it would be listenable in the end. And I think as I got, got deeper into the project and I started speaking to more artists and different types of artists and artists whose work I wasn't as familiar with, um, I learned that re spending some time researching and getting to know the person's work, uh, and maybe even like developing a little bit of an, of a story arc for myself in terms of how I wanted to try and direct the conversation. And I say that loosely, right? right? I'm always leaving room for flexibility and fluidity in where the conversation will go. But, you know, depending on the artist, there's always going to be, you know, a handful of very specific things that I want to ask that relate to that person's practice or their work. So I think over time, I've paid more attention to that and, and tried to take more responsibility in, in forming this thing. And, and, and I also like, I think it's out of respect, you know, you know, you want to come into, to, uh, knowing a bit about the artists and their work so that you can show them that you're paying attention in some capacity. Um, and that's something I didn't really do in the beginning. So that's changed how I speak to artists. Um, and I guess, you know, another kind of poignant thing that, that I can bring into this, this question is, you know, I do, I do speak about social issues and, and identity throughout the, the project, whether it's, you know, artistic identity or, or, um, some other type of identity, be it racial or gender. But one of the things that I, I think I've been evaluating in the past five, six months is when I do talk about race, it, it's always been in the context of the artist whose work kind of touches on race as an, as, as an idea. I mean, that's an obvious thing to do, but, I, but as someone who really is trying to think more about what it means to be anti-racist, I think there should be space in these conversations to talk about that, even when the artwork does not, does not deal with race specifically or directly. Cause I don't think you can separate art from life. Really. That's one of my ethos. And, um, that's affecting how I want to talk to artists, particularly white artists. I, I think speaking about race with other white artists is important because, you know, it shouldn't just be speaking to artists of color when their work is about, about race. I mean, I think that's, that's short, that's important, but it should be more broader than that. If we're interested in education and 
being human, I think we can't we can't not talk about these things. Um, and they 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 overtly connect and disconnect to art in different ways. And I think I think doing the work to to talk about those and uncover those and connect those and disconnect those is is a worthwhile exercise for sure. We'll be back after a quick break. question for you so like one of the things that i have been curious like you know when i was thinking about okay who should i talk to here at the beginning of this podcast you were the one of the first names that came to mind for me joe because one i think deep color is hugely successful in what it is seeking to do uh, it's something that i listen to a lot that's really nice of you to say thanks and if anybody hasn't <laughs> listened i can only recommend i couldn't recommend that highly enough um but i'm kind of curious about like now, you know, from what I understand, and you were like, a lot of your guests are from like this region, like from the mid-Atlantic, if not New York. And, and I'm kind of wondering how, how you would begin to describe the art world, big air quotes up here, or like your relationship, both as an educator and artist and yeah, uh, like parent, I don't know, like any mm-hmm. of that as it relates to the art world, um, you know, cause we're thinking about how can we build systems that are similarly scaled, but also better and different back home. And yeah, I don't know, just, just kind of like curious how any of that lands for you or like what comes to mind when you yeah, think about sure. the art world in New York. Yeah. Let me preface this by saying deep color initially was a regional project. And, you know, one of my rules was I wanted to be in the studio in real time with the artist I was speaking with. So that, that sort of created a boundary for me. It, you know, I, I needed to be able to take a taxi or the subway to the studio, um, of the artist who, who I wanted to speak with. Um, and I resisted for the first handful of years doing any sort of remote recording like we're doing now, because I, I, I it was important for me to be in the space with the artist and to riff off what was in the studio and to, sort of kind of react to the artworks that were being made um, and just the general like flow of the space. Uh, that was kind of a driving idea and and why I wanted to be in the studio. You know, that all fell apart with the pandemic and, and you know, having to kind of keep our distance from each other. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I've let go of that rule. So, so I'm starting to think a little bit more broadly about region and, and, obviously fanning out into, you know, a more international, um, sort of like, you know, being okay with, with trying to contact an artist that's not, you know, not a subway right away. Um, in terms of art scene or arts community in New York, I, I, it's a very plural place. I'd say it's, you know, there's the contemporary art world, but then within that there's any number of different smaller scenes. 
you know, and then there's like the theater scene and the music scene and all these, you know, if we, if we use kind of the umbrella of art and culture to kind of put all these different categories and disciplines under, it's very plural and very, very vast. Um, it, it also feels small too, in a, in a strange way. Like you, you, there's a lot of crossover in these different scenes that I just, just described. What else can I say? Um, I don't know. It's funny. I guess I'm pausing. Like I'm thinking about like, why am I pausing right now? And I'm pausing because I, I, I've in the past five months, I've been removed from it. I haven't been in it. Mm. I have not gone to openings. I have not gone to museums. I have not gone on studio visits. I've barely been in my own studio. So my relationship to the arts community and the art scene right now is, is a little upside down, to be honest, now that I'm thinking about it. And I think it's because of you know, I'm going to assign um, the pandemic and how that's sort of forced, uh, you know, forced us to pull in in different ways. I know like the restrictions here are are, are changing and, and like galleries have appointment hours and you can go through. And I know a number of people are doing that. Um, I'm not one of them, though. I haven't I haven't found time in my life um, to go and do that. So my relationship to the arts community right now is different than it's ever been. So I guess maybe that's why I was, I was like kind of searching for an answer in that moment. I think that that completely makes sense. Yeah. And before I say anything else too, I, I think that, um, yeah, your caveat at the beginning of that, that deep color set out to be a sort of regional project mm -hmm. informed by the desire to be in person that, I mean, like that to me feels really valid. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, like what makes a, an art scene work. Um, you know, there's lots of nuance to that, but you, I don't know, for me, I think that you might just boil that down to people and money, uh, you know, like a, of a certain quantity of each and, yeah. you know, New York is interesting. And in so far as there's enough people within a subway ride or a bus ride, like you were saying, you know, that that can work. Yeah. There's, yeah. And I would also, you know, in terms of like what creates a healthy community, I would, I would also include dedication. Like you, you you've got to, you got to find a kind of be into it and, and be passionate about it. Um, and, and do, do the work it takes to like find other people that are, that are interested in these things and, and want to talk about ideas and, and making things and, and, using art as a vehicle for communication. Um, and I guess I'm speaking now to like, you know, to like an area like where I grew up in rural New Hampshire, you know, it's, I think it's much harder in a place like that potentially to find community than in a place like New York where you're, you're, it's kind of, it's outside of your door in some capacity, um, and, and reachable and attainable in a few different ways. Whereas it's, it takes more legwork um, in a smaller space. I mean, maybe with the internet and, you know, all the social media and stuff, it's easier to find people, but being dedicated and, and, and like passionate about it is, are important ingredients and having venues, you know, whether it's, um, a coffee shop or someone's garage or a basement or like a, a spare room in someone's house to kind of bring people together. You know, I'm, I'm speaking like in before times when we could all be in the same room. Um, I think having some sort of like space to come together is important. I don't always think that needs to be a gallery museum that can be, 
someone, like I said, like someone's garage or someone's workshop or, or some sort of community center. Um, so some sort of meeting place is important, it seems like, too. Yeah. One of the implicit questions I think that we are asking as a publication and an organization is, you know, is, is the internet enough of a tool to be the thing that pulls people together, especially like across cities is kind of like the way that we're starting to think through that problem. Yeah. yeah is like, is the internet enough to pull those kind of disparate things together into something larger? Um, and I think that has yet to be seen in some ways. Um, but your, but your comment continues to make me wonder, are there other things that you think artists need to really thrive and survive? And maybe that extends beyond just artists. Like there's obviously like art and culture workers mm -hmm. there. I mean, I don't know. There are people who are passionate about art. I don't want to say like consumers of art is that's a little reductive, but yeah, I mean, there's lots of people potentially under that umbrella and just kind of curious, maybe aside from what you've already said, uh, what, what do those people need to thrive? Really? Yeah. Uh, I think a support system is huge. Um, whether that's, you know, a parent or a friend or a group of friends kind of urging that artist along is important. I mean, I'm the type, I'll just use myself as an example is, is I'm not good at working in a silo. Like I kind of lose my way sometimes. I need to like hear from other people and get their reaction. Um, and, and almost their encouragement, like, yeah, you're on the right track. So I think some sort of support system is huge or maybe, maybe like the emotional support of, of like having people sort of encourage you to keep pushing forward and challenging yourself is, is maybe that's, maybe that's the foundation. Um, cause I don't, mm. I don't, I don't know. I think I'm the type of artist that, 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 that needs, needs something like that. Like, like I said, I'm not, I don't know that I'm the, the best at just being kind of isolated in the studio and, and going through the motions and, um, coming home and going to bed. Like I, I need, I don't know. I need, I need that social aspect. I need, I need that sort of sense of community. I, I need that sort of parenting that I guess comes with, with a support system around the artwork and around what I'm doing. Um, so I guess that's maybe what I'd say. It's obvious, yeah. but you know, and, and quite basic, but, <laughs> but maybe not always anyway. Yeah. I, I think there's something to that. I, I also think that the fact that you and I are both willing to be in this space for, you know, an hour or two on a Friday is evidence that we are both yeah. kind of like that, you know, who need that sense of connection or social, social stimulation mm -hmm. challenge, whatever you want to call it. It, um, yeah, I, I also think that that's really important. Or just Central. affirmation that you're not wasting your time and, and that your, 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 your ideas yeah. are not absurd all the time and that you're not, you know, that you're okay. You know, uh, you know, I think that's a role that the support system and network can obviously play as well. And, you know, if, if we want to get practical, um, uh, you know, having resources in, in the form of security and, and food on the table and a roof over your head and money in your bank account to pay, pay for the, the life we need to live. Obviously those are parts of what artists need to, um, sort of stay healthy and, and not be more stressed out than we need to be. And, you know, I, I think having, you know, some form of income to take the pressure off is ultimately a good thing. You know, 
one of the goals is to earn a living through their artwork. And, and that's a, that's a admirable goal and something to chase, but it, but it can, it can be debilitating in a lot of ways because once you add commerce, once you collapse like commerce and this, and the idea of being an artist and making work, it, it can get confusing pretty quickly and frustrating pretty quickly. So I'm of the mindset to like have having a day job or so, something to supplement your studio practice is fundamentally a good thing um, and gets you out of your head, takes the pressure off of trying to sell work because that's incredibly hard. Yeah, I, I guess that's another thing I wanted to throw in there. Yeah, that that's certainly true too. And that, I mean, I, I'm a relatively young artist, but that has absolutely been a part of my experience so far. It's not been something that <laughs> can support me. Yeah. It's this idea of be, about, I think, being multidimensional, which is something I've talked about in Deep Color over over the years is, you know, have, I, I really believe in this idea of having, uh, you know, multiple projects going on. I think, I think they can all inform each other and support each other and help each other. Um, and what I mean is like, you know, think of a day job as part of the project. Think, you know, think of the studio practice as part of the project. Think of um, an extension from the studio, like a podcast, or maybe you're, you're, you have a, a, a writing project or some sort of critique group or um, a zine project, for example. You know, I think having multiple things going on is a healthy thing. Um, and maybe that's another thing we can throw into sort of what artists need to thrive. And I'd, I'd say like multiple projects is maybe a good thing too. <laughs> yeah. And I think you've already said this in other ways, but yeah. either whether it's like secondary incomes from those projects, or if it's just, I don't know, like your own need for any one project to generate some kind of response or outcome. I think that that lowers the pressure for all of it, like yes. the whole system of what you're up to. And I mean, I can really only speak for myself, but I know that when I take that, am able to take that pressure, whether it's fiscal or some kind of generated outcome pressure off of what I'm doing, it, I don't know, it lets all of those things be more of what they need to be rather than like what I need them to be. Yeah. It's relaxing in a way. And and that can be liberating. Um, I don't know. I think going into the, the act of making a work of art uh, with a burden of stress or how am I going to pay for this can, can really work against you. So if there's a, if there's a way to release that pressure valve, I think we should explore those ways for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, like <laughs> what we're both saying, easier said than done, but yeah, but, yeah. yeah certainly essential. Um, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else on your mind at the moment as it relates to any of these things? Or, uh, I don't know, you know, we were speaking kind of at the beginning of this meeting about, oh, I don't know, like <laughs> all kinds of like potential pitfalls for where we're at in the world. And uh, I mean, we could go back to any of those things or yeah, just, I don't know, like wondering if there's anything else that has just, is, is just really on your mind. Yeah. I guess, I guess one of the, one of the things I've been thinking about is, is all this remote, um, communication and, and the zoom meetings that we're all having and, um, how that's affecting humanity 
in not such a great way and what the long-term consequences of that are. You know, we spoke, I think, before you hit record about how all this stuff kind of can flatten stuff, whether it's how we look at art or experience art through our phone or through the computer um, and these like virtual exhibitions. Or even how through the like the like all this social distancing, how how that's is sort of dehumanizing and how I don't know, we can get into this habit of like looking at each other as vectors for for disease now, as opposed to that's another human being with feelings and experience. You know, I, I worry about that and I and I worry about what it's gonna take or how long it's gonna take to get back to um, being comfortable being around each other again and being in the same space with each other again. And, um, I guess that's something I've been thinking about and, and, and trying to remember that while all this remote communication and, um, technology is, is a savior in a lot of ways during this moment, I I don't want it to become the norm and, and I want it to be a, a, a support more than the go-to. How about that? I share that with you. It, you know, when we're thinking about, yeah, building better networks in our region, obviously there are opportunities to do that in a way that mm-hmm. don't rely on geography whatsoever. And those are definitely worth exploring to see what happens. I think we're already in the whole world is in the process of exploring that and seeing what happens. But I think it's always the most successful when those project experiments, whatever you want to call them, are propping up those real world physical things. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can have both. I, I you know, I don't want to, I don't want to lean too much on the virtual. Yeah. You know, in terms of like questions, that is pretty close to all I had. And I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to like say or talk about that you feel like was missing from a conversation either about you or what you do in, in any of your projects. Um, or yeah. Or anything else that you wanted to circle back to. Hmm. It's funny. Like I ask a question like this when I'm, when I'm doing it, uh-huh. when I'm facilitating the conversation and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed to come up with anything right now. I think like, you know, we're, we're recording this on a, a, a few days before the, the presidential election. So I'm a little preoccupied with, with all of that. And also I guess to circle back to how, kind of how we started in, in like, my role as a as a sort of stay at home parent and and um, homeschool teacher for my kids, uh, I, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of reevaluating what type of artist I am. I think you know, just to say again, my relationship to to making art and being in studio is has been affected by this, and that's something I'm really thinking on. And I'm excited to kind of figure out a new way to work through all because of all this. Um, I'm pretty distracted. I don't know if that's going to come through in all this, but, um, that's one thing that, that I'm thinking about. And, and, um, I, I know a lot of other artists are thinking about too, is like, how do I be a healthier artist? How do I be a, a, a work smarter? Um, how do I sustain being an artist, uh, in these strange times? And, you know, I'm definitely in that space myself. Um, and I think, that's an okay space to be in some, you know, I think there can be kind of a little bit of panic associated with going, going through the process of reevaluating. But, but I think fundamentally, I think it's a good thing. Um, anyways, I guess that's how I'll bookend things. (laughs)
that's going to be it for today's episode. Heads up for later on in this pilot season, I'm hoping to virtually meet up with other art writers and art thinkers in the South and Midwest from a wider area than just Louisville and try for some roundtable conversations on the podcast about what is going on in everyone's area and make some new connections that way. But I might need some help finding those people. So that's where you come in. You might be wondering what I mean exactly by the South and Midwest. And if so, you're not alone. I am also wondering that. But for right now, I'm just going to cast a 300-ish mile radius net around Louisville where Ruckus is based and see what turns up that way. It's not a perfect system, but, you know, it's a first try. So if you're listening and you know of anyone who likes to talk about art in cities like Lexington, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Columbus, St. Louis, Nashville, Asheville, Atlanta, Charlotte, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Chicago, or Cleveland, in no particular order, please introduce me. It's incredible how little those cities get to speak with one another, and I'd love to put a small dent in changing that. So that's the forecast for the next few episodes, but until then, big thanks again to Joseph Harper Green to speak with me on this episode. Definitely go listen to Deep Color, and a link to that will be in the show notes. If you have thoughts or ideas for this show or would like to get involved with Art of Gravity, send an email to info at ruckusjournal.org. If you'd like to see this and all of our projects grow, subscribe on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. I promise every little bit helps. Thanks. Until next time. Okay, one last time. Several years and seven... Ugh. If you have thoughts or ideas for this show or would like to get involved with Art of Gravity, get in touch. I can't, that, you can't say get in touch and then at. You can't say at that many times.